Welcome back to the Doctor Who Flashcast. It's Season 12, Episode 7, Can You Hear Me? by Charlene James and Chris Chibnall. I'm Jason Snell, and I'm joined now by Human Sadri, who is a... Uh, uh, an incomparable member and somebody I've talked to about Doctor Who stuff. Um, you are in Sweden, right? I am. Yep, I am. And Although I'm not originally Swedish, I'm actually English, but uh, the uh, uh, transplanted. Transplanted, and uh, you work in academia, and you did yes. a, a pop culture podcast. And I, one of the things you and I have talked about is sort of that combination of kind of a, a, an academic analysis of popular culture. Uh, works and including Doctor Who, and here we are. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, uh, this will be a not be an academic discussion today. <laughs> no, no. Well, thank goodness for that. It's, it's the weekend. Since so we just it's the weekend, and we just watched an episode of television, and now we're going to talk about it. Um, uh, can you hear me? Is uh, a, I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. Kind of a wild ride. Uh, where yeah. uh, did it feel to you like? It started as a standard Doctor Who episode where, where it was like, we're going to go to Aleppo in 1380 and, you know, with, there are monsters and in this uh, um, in this hospital and uh, what's happening with the monsters. And then we get the opening credits. I felt like, OK, I know exactly how this episode is going to go. And uh, it didn't. <laughs> No, it absolutely didn't. It seemed, I mean, there were a lot of ideas, certainly. And I mean, I mean, first fair, I really enjoyed the episode. You know, Radio Free Scarrow has, uh, has this poll that they put up on Twitter straight after an episode just to get the lay of the land. And I actually clicked on, I loved it. And I did love it, but I'm also aware that structurally it's very odd. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, um, that's something that I've actually kind of enjoyed this season is that there are episodes that I think I know how it's going to be put together. And then like last week, I felt like the first act understanding what the mystery was, was about 35 minutes of the episode. And then yeah. the un the resolution of the mystery was almost inconsequential in about five minutes. And this oh, episode yeah, is quite, quite like it. Well, but actually, this episode is quite like that in that way. But it's also, yes, very strange structurally where. It just keeps you guessing about what exactly is going on because the episode that you're watching is not the one that you've sort of uh, expected from Doctor Who and how we tell stories. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I I like one and dones in a way, and obviously this this season has got connective tissue going all the way through. But I do kind of wonder if this shouldn't have been a two parter, just I, because yeah. the amount of ideas that they put forward and then don't really follow up on. I mean, we'll get to it, but the, the conclusion is very hand-wavy. Yeah, the um, last episode, I felt, was so fun in its globetrotting adventure and that the resolution of it was not the point, and so I was okay with them hand-waving it. This one, like, it, it's very abrupt, and it's fine. I mean, it's fine, mm. but there's a moment about... I don't know, 40 minutes into the episode where I thought you've introduced a this feels to me like you've introduced a season long story arc with some incredibly powerful villains who can do some fascinating things and really put the doctor uh, on, a, on her back foot. And uh, and and like what will you know, you've opened Pandora's box at that moment where the doctor realizes that she's been outsmarted and tricked. Um, yeah. And then. In you know ten minutes, they're back in the box and everything's solved and it's fine. And I thought, I thought, 
okay, fair enough. But at the same time, I think maybe you squandered an opportunity to have this. I thought it worked so well and the setup was so good that I, I kind of felt they, they it deserved at least an episode, if not kind of a season-long uh, recurring arc. Like, these were good good villains that were very scary and very powerful who were put back in a box, like, well, okay, back in a sphere, um, almost immediately, which is too bad. Very quickly, they were put back in it. Mm. There's, there's an element where the, the villains and, and the, the explanation of who they are kind of reminded me of the Satan Pit from series two. Yeah. And this it's sort of impossible trap for these sort of godlike uh, adversaries that are hard to beat. Um, and the doctor sort of involved in a, a plot to break this villain out. But the Satan Pit had two episodes. It had room to breathe. Mm-hmm. This didn't do that. And, and I, th- I think that, that that's a little bit sad because there were some really, really good ideas and some of the, some of the plot threads that it put across. I don't know. They just needed more, I think. Yeah. And I, I, I'm damning it with faint praise. And as I say, I re- did really enjoy the episode, but I no, do think that's a problem. I'd say as an episode, it, it's it's great. It's it's a really good episode without that. But it did. I did walk away with a feeling of a missed opportunity. Like, and yeah. and I, maybe they wouldn't. Maybe they didn't even realize until they were putting it together just how well this was going to work. But I. I thought to myself with uh, Zelen, and I actually didn't even get the name of the of the woman who is being held. No, me neither. Uh, but uh, they the the whole idea that they're you know thought to be gods and they're they're immortals and they're like that we get lots of old canon references to the Eternals and the Guardians and the Toy Maker and that they're they're these ancient beings that can't be killed but uh, mm. they're going to feed on humanity. And it's like this is this is this is the kind of thing you do in episode one. Yeah. And then the ramifications play out over the rest of the season where the, you've, you, the doctor has loosed this monster who was in a prison and like the Satan pit, you're right. And then, but instead it's just sort of like, oh, well, you know, again, it solves the problem. It's fine. It was a fun episode and I liked it, but, oh, that would have been good if there had been more. I guess, I, I guess they, you know, leave them wanting more, but um, yeah, missed opportunity, I think. In a, in a good way, but still, um, this was so good they could have done more. Yeah. But I think it was, uh, I mean, we're running out of episodes in the season. Yeah. Which, uh, uh, damn it. But, <laughs> um, well, it's, it, it seems to be going very fast. I'm I not agree. sure. I'm not, on, I'm not on board with this 10 episode season malarkey. But, um, you know, the last time we had a, a proper conversation between the doctor and the fam, uh, they were sort of saying just how behind her they were and we'll solve this together. And I'm thinking that they need to get the the companions to a place where that is not the case very quickly by season the end of the season. Right. Uh and so this is Ryan. Yes. And and I, I think that maybe they could have that's again the two part thing. Maybe they could have spent more time on it. I do like the callback to Orphan fifty five. Um, in obviously, this is something that has affected Ryan in a way that we haven't seen 
Yeah, I like that um, Ryan, the scene at the end where Ryan is really questioning things, too. This is a great, great companion episode, right? Ryan gets the scenes yeah. with his friend, and at the end, he has that question where he's just laying out the premise of this, which is, we're going to change. She can drop us back. I've always thought this, right? She could drop us back where we got picked up. But if I'm five years older, and I've seen all of these things, and everybody mm. else is exactly the same, that's very weird uh, on yeah. top of it. So so he's, he's questioning the premise, which is funny because in this moment Yaz seems to be as I think she always has been she's the closest to a typical Doctor Who companion she's loving it and you know to the police officer like solving crimes in the universe is great for her and Graham we see although he, he his fear is his cancer coming back Graham feels very much like um, he's got a second chance at at life, and so yeah. he's he's perfectly connected at least so far. But Ryan, I think I, I like how it was done with Ryan, where he he has he's asking good questions about whether yeah. this is a lifestyle that he wants to continue in. But um, I mean, also not to not to speculate too far, but I'm fairly sure Toast and Cole's been cast in uh, something. Hmm. Uh, I, I have to I be think honest. I read something I, I was, in Deadline. I'm not sure. Uh, I was surprised they came back. Uh, all of them came back for a second season, and I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the end result is going to be. I've been surprised by four, but it mm. wouldn't be. And I like the I like the three companion thing. I like all of them, um, but I. I think Ryan's if, if that's what this is setting up is Ryan saying I'm going to step away regardless of mm. what happens to the other two. I. I like how it was handled because I think this is exactly for a story about a magic box that travels through space and time, a realistic way that a human, regular human being would react to that, which is why do companions leave? This is a good reason because you are going to leave your whole life behind and just getting dropped off when you're done doesn't, doesn't really solve it because you will have diverged from everybody. That's, that's the melancholy I always got from Sarah Jane. In the in the but modern it, season, right, is that when she got dropped off by by uh, by Tom Baker in the old series, the modern series says um, she, you know, you can't really go back to that life. Yeah, but it's something that uh, Chris Chibnall has played with himself before. I mean, in those uh, those two episodes of series six or series seven, sorry, series seven, uh, Matt Smith uh, when Matt, Matt Smith's last season. Um, he wrote Dinosaurs on a Spaceship and the Power of Three. Mm-hmm. Dinosaur, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship brings in Rory's dad. So you have the two young companions and the father figure. Right. Which is, which I always saw Graham as sort of mirroring that anyway. Mm-hmm. But then the, the Power of Three is, the whole thing is predicated on, can we continue this life? This is great. But whenever we go away, and come back our friends have moved on a certain amount and we have or we have aged and they haven't one of those things right so it it's obviously something that he is interested in and has wanted to play with and i guess he's he's doing it in in a sort of larger longer form mm-hmm. which is interesting to see i'll be interested to see how that how that plays out i do like um I do like the idea of companions possibly leaving the doctor of their own volition because we haven't really had we haven't had that at all apart from Martha Jones. Right. In the new series and you know eventually life goes on the idea of eventually life going on I think is quite a clever one in the context of this show. I think Russell T Davis in 
in the um, early days of the revival, wanted to really have a conversation about the logic of the of of the companion from so so i i feel like his early seasons are are in dialogue with the classic series in ways that you know Stephen Moffat always did this but but uh, in ways people didn't maybe notice as much that, that Russell T Davis did as well and one of them was what is the role of the companion so he makes rose the title character she's essentially the point of view character especially at the beginning not the doctor that alone is a change she's got a family that is a huge change from the original series yeah. um but i would argue that it's he also is arguing why do these companions all say at the end of their episode, their final episode of their contract, uh, I don't want to travel with you anymore, Doctor? And some of them are more abrupt and some of them are less abrupt. But I think Russell T. Davis wanted to have a companion who said, why would I ever leave? Yeah. <laughs> and the well, problem exactly. being they do have to leave. Yeah, not not all of them get to run off with Sablon Glitz. So. That's right. And then there, let's not speak about Ad- what happens to Adric. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the the uh, that I think it's an interesting thing here where Chris Chibnall is is kind of we've done this so much in the modern series where they've left uh, sort of not of their own accord that um, it is now interesting for them to leave of their own accord. It's only like you said, been Martha. So I'm actually kind of interested to see what happens with Ryan and maybe it's a fake out or maybe he's, he's going and he's already been cast in something else. But um, because Dr. Who is not one of those shows you can just do for a couple of months there. You're busy for, I think like 10 months, nine months. It's a very long, long thing. Um, so it's something to watch. And I, I had not really thought about how Chris Chibnall had written those two episodes in uh, that Matt Smith season. And you're absolutely right with Rory's dad and Power mm. of Three, which is an underrated episode. I The the, the monster in it is silly, and it, but it doesn't matter because it's such a good character episode about the idea of how do you live life as a time traveler while also trying to live your regular life? And the answer is not well. It doesn't really work. Um <laughs> Hang on, a Chris Chibnall episode with uh, with excellent character work and terrible monsters. I, mm, imagine that. Imagine that. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Um, okay, some other things that happen in this episode. Where I, I like, we're just bouncing around. It doesn't have to be a yeah. plot synopsis. We're bouncing around. Um, I I wanted to talk about how scary this episode is because one of the things that Doctor Who traditionally is is a family show, but also is scary. I remember I. Uh, I watched Doctor Who with my kids when they were young, and um, there were definitely episodes where, like, I was—I have honestly never been prouder as a parent for the the, the time that my son was uh, said that he had had a nightmare, and it was Doctor Who monster related. I can't even remember which monster it was. It might have been the gas mask zombies from um, from uh, the uh, Doctor Dances, the Empty Child. Uh, but but there was a moment where he was he was like, oh, I saw those Doctor Who monsters, scary. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm thinking, yeah, because it is supposed to scare kids. And this is, I I think, an effectively creepy episode because we don't have his name originally, but Zelen, he appears in the TARDIS and then disappears, which is super creepy. And then he's got his fingers that detach and stick into your ear and suck out your your nightmares. And it's just, it, it is... And that's a classic thing that Stephen Moffat always liked to do, which is how do we hit kids where they live? So, like, we're going to we have crafted this to when you're a kid and you're going to bed and your room is dark, be terrified that Zelen is going to stick a floating finger in your ear. 
Oh yeah, and it it even has that amazing awful bit where where the you know the mum saying, "Oh, you know, it's okay. The good boogeyman oh. doesn't exist," and then going out, and then suddenly he does. You know, he does. <laughs> oh. it's, it's so perfect. Um, and the weird thing is, I mean, you know, you would think that like detachable fingers might be a bit silly, but actually they were proper creepy. Mm-hmm. It was properly just. Because it's just wrong. It's a certain, you know, I mean, Doctor Who is always going to be scary in the hide behind the sofa way. It can't be super properly traumatic, but that's real body horror. That is not what hands are meant to do. And if you're young and looking at that, you don't, I, I figure there are a lot of kids having nightmares tonight. Mm-hmm. Which you know, job done. Yes, that's well right. Done. It works works as directed. That's what Doctor Who is for. Uh, yeah, Hide behind the sofa, have a nightmare. Mm-hmm. I've got to say, and, and like like uh, like what you said about your son having a nightmare. Uh, when um, my son, who's as much of a Doctor Who fanatic as I am, we're doing the Odyssey together at the moment. The, not the Odyssey. I keep calling it the Odyssey. I mean right. the pilgrimage. What Paul Cornell calls the pilgr- pilgrimage. Um, but when he was was just a toddler, we were watching. It was when we were watching the Christopher Eccleston series one, and you know he was just toddling around the room. And in the episode Dalek, the first time the Dalek speaks, he just stopped dead in his tracks and and started crying. So I mean, Doctor Who affects in that way, and that's how it gets it claw its claws into you. I mean. Uh, my first memory uh, of television is being terrified by Doctor Who and, and you know, 40-something years later, here I am still watching it. So, yeah. Well done, brilliant. well done. Job done. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, one of the things I like about Doctor Who, and it's always been this way, but I think Chris Chibnall has it as what he too is that Doctor Who should also be about something as a family show. Um, last week was about plastics and the proliferation of plastics in the world. And I know some people said that it was preachy. I, I didn't think it was. I think plastics in the world and microplastics are, are a fact and having a monster that can uh, that comes to Earth specifically because mm. we're bathing in plastic is a clever way of pointing that out without having one of these shame on you humans kind of moments. This episode... Like, um, actually, like one of my very favorite modern series episodes of all, Vincent and the Doctor, is uh, it actually a little bit about it's about mental illness. It's about the stigma of mental illness. And we see it in 1380 Aleppo where they are essentially in a, it's a hospital, but it's, Mm. it's uh, people who are, who are being treated for uh, mental illness. Um, And then our, our our companions, right? We got through the lens of how do we exploit their fears? We see Ryan's friend who has many locks and he's really fallen into a depression. It seems very clear. Yaz and her sister uh, make reference to an anniversary of a time where Yaz, which I thought maybe they were going to be, that Yaz might have um, attempted suicide, but I think they, and it wouldn't surprise me if the script originally said that and they sort of soft-pedaled it into she ran away, but there's an implication that her sister is worried that she might harm herself, not just run away. And then, of course, Graham talking about his fears of his cancer coming back Mm. and his guilt uh, of uh, his wife dying. Um, But, and and, yeah, yes, through a science fictional lens of monsters are coming to eat your fears but in the end uh the way the story goes the message is you're not alone and get help if you know talk to somebody well i mean it goes even further than that because the reason that uh 
the the two sort of gods of fear or whatever come to earth you know right is because essentially the, the she is saying well all this mental illness Mm-hmm. Or, you know, that is caused by people, you know, not facing their fears and people hating themselves and people, it, it, it boils down to get therapy, get help, yeah. talk to someone if you need help. Uh, and they don't, so they have nightmares. Right. Zelen says, you are unique humans in that you take mm. all of that and put it, all that cruelty and set it against yourself. And that's yeah. right there. That's 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 exactly what this story is about, and that really, that really spoke to me. I mean, I I, in common with a lot of people, I think, have been in that position, and I've been in that position recently, and has you know, I I had to be persuaded to reach out and speak to someone, um, and I'm glad I did, uh, and it comes, you know, it it it, it it's. It's something that's that's natural and regular, but people do tend to treat it as some kind of stigma. Right. And and so it's it's really, really important that a show like Doctor Who, again, which is I mean, you know, here we're we're a couple of we're a couple of sort of late forties guys mm-hmm. talking about this show, which is really aimed at people, let's face it, thirty years our junior, and we're a good corollary. Um so it's talking to people much younger than us saying, hey, it's never too early to talk to someone if you have a problem. Right. That's why it's important that you see Yaz, who, I mean, we forget that Yaz and Ryan are meant to be in their late teens. Uh, you know, the, the, when, when, at least when we met them, we don't really know how long right. they've been traveling. But they're just, with the just out of school, basically. They're just out of school. So they're probably about, you know, 19 or so. So if you're going back three years, when Yaz runs away, she's 16. Right. So we got 15, 16 year old Yaz running away uh, because of whatever, bullying, unhappiness, problems. Then it's never p- properly stipulated. But it's exactly the kind of thing that, you know, a teenager will be able to understand. And so it's really important that Doctor Who is saying this, I think. Yeah. And the context, uh, and this is something that came up last week uh, as well. The context of, uh, with Antony is the um, family program, right? It's, it is, uh, it has a large audience of younger people, but also this tends to be a thing that is watched by families together. And yeah. I, I think that multiplies the power of this kind of episode because you can have that conversation or, uh, you know, whether it happens in the moment or whether somebody thinks about it later. The, the and, and this is why I say, I think this is why uh, Doctor Who works well as something a show that's about something, even if uh, it isn't always you know right in your face about it, because it, it gives the families the opportunity to have a conversation and say, "See, asking for help was the right thing to do," and and that that goes for the parents and the kids or the grandparents or whoever is watching together. And I think mm, that I think absolutely. that's so, you know, I think a lot of television viewing these days, especially, but even always has been fairly solitary. But when you get those moments where you've got the family together, um, that is that makes these um, themes. I was going to say messages, but it's not really that these themes more powerful because it, it, it potentially can lead to understanding and conversation. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, I also like just, just, you know, on a side note of the public service thing, and I know that I'm sure that there are a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, red faced, angry people who've, you know, never watched a Malcolm Hulk episode, <laughs> sort of going, Oh, it's getting terribly preachy. But I did like the, her exposition explaining about, uh, 
the the forward thinking nature of Islamic medicine. Yeah. Around the time, I thought I, I, I literally wanted to say thank you. The whole um, fact that we get 1380 Aleppo, right? That that setting, it turns yeah. out, is not there for some historical monster celebrity historical kind of thing. It's there to say in 1380, the 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 uh, medicine in uh, Aleppo, Syria, was uh, very humane and taking care of mental patients, people with illness. Um, because that's that, the monster. There's, there's your like most obvious, I think, like Vincent and the doctor, the monster that is feeding on a hospital full of people who are mentally ill. Like, of course, that's what this starts at. But it is about um, it is about the the humanity, the humane medicine being practiced there in Aleppo. And then I enjoy that we get Tahia, who comes along with them. And this is not a character we usually see in a companion role. But the doctor's there alone. She's talking to herself, which is a funny moment where the doctor is so used to having people with her that if she doesn't, um, she doesn't really she continues to talk, which is great for the audience, but uh, she realizes it. And then, of course, she picks up a stray first thing because that's what she does. But they but they yeah. bring this girl from Aleppo in 1380. She gets to go in the TARDIS. She gets to go to the space platform. She gets to see all of these things. And I enjoyed that, too, even though that that is uh, only only she's only there for this episode. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Now, th- this season has been pretty good with sort of additional one episode only companions right uh i mean all said and i, and I guess this is something they try but i i do think that this is one of the better seasons uh i mean i know that that uh series 11 brought about some degree of of disappointment in a lot of people i am i was one of them but i think this series has the the batting average of this has been way off the chart i was really so I thought season 11 was fine, but mm. I I think in hindsight, it was Chris Chibnall wanting to hit a reset button and take everything back to basics. And I think he was so restrained in what he wanted to do that we got no returning anything, which is, again, great to hit that reset button. Um, but clearly he, he has amped up the stakes and brought made, thrown in all the references and done all those things this season. And there was a moment. Um, and it was Orphan Fifty Five, where I thought, "Oh no, this!" Because I thought <laughs> I thought Spyfall was okay, not great, didn't have a great resolution. Um, I, I loved Sasha Dewan, um, but I was kind of disappointed with with ha- how it kind of ended. And then Orphan Fifty Five, right. I really, really, really disliked, and I thought, no, "I remember, I, we're we're in trouble." And then since then, we've got Nikola Tesla, which was a good episode. We got Fugitive of the of the Jadoon, which was a mind blowing episode, so so important and shocking and dramatic, and so much to pick through. And then Praxius was surprisingly good; like that was a yeah. very good, fun episode. And now, can you hear me? And I agree with you. I thought it was really good, like really, yeah. really good. Even though they do solve the how do we imprison the two godlike creatures, and it, it's essentially reverse the polarity of the nightmare flow. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it was great. Like, and again, yeah, okay, abrupt ending. It's fine. Um, the missed opportunity, but 
but just a good episode. And it's gotten me, this run has gotten me turned around on this season completely. So I, I'm with you. The, I, I am feeling so much better about not just this season, but the trajectory of Doctor Who. Um, and I don't know whether Chris Chibnall saw the first season and said, well, now that I've done that, I'll move, I'll move it ahead. Or whether he saw it and said, wow, I need to make changes because that's not actually what I wanted to do. But regardless, something happened and this season feels very different. And this is mm. a it, among the best kind of like episode series of episodes in a row runs where you you think, oh, boy, they, they are on all cylinders right now. And I hope it continues through the end of the season. Well, Oh, same here. I mean, but, you know, the last, in the last season, there was literally the, the closest we got to a reference to anything that had come before was the line, um, you know, a few minutes ago, I was a white-haired Scotsman. Right. Uh, and I mean, it really did try to be standalone. Whereas now we just watched an episode where they referenced the white and black guardians and the celestial toy maker. Yes. I yeah. mean, that is, that, I mean, that, Celestial Toymaker, especially as it is the deepest of deep cuts. Mm-hmm. That, that episode, that that series doesn't even exist in its entirety. Yes. So. Yeah. No, they're, they're <laughs> I mean, not. He, he, this is like a reversal, right? It's like, no, yeah. we'll throw it all in there. I like that because not only is that, I think if you're a fan, you as you see that there's this godlike character, um, it is a reinforcement of that because it's ticking off all the other godlike characters that we've seen in Doctor Who. But if you're not a fan, I think it still works because I think it's it's like the old Star Trek bit where you you um, you list some things that are made up, but it, it gives you a sense like, wow, this world is much deeper and creepier and stranger than I even understood, like, because we're throwing off these references. So I think it probably works either way, but you're right. When they say, oh, even the toy maker would approve, I'm like, oh, okay, wow, yeah, all right. <laughs> um, the, what uh, did you make? Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, um, we should talk a little bit about the bigger arc either for this season or for next season i don't really know where this is going because there's like a lone cyberman that we've been warned about but there's also this whole thing about who was ruth as the doctor and what's going on with the time lords and and the timeless child that the master talked about that's it's all out there some of that at least is going to be resolved if not all of it this season or at least addressed again i i will say positioning this episode two episodes after fugitive of the jadoon added for me a whole layer of tension in these scenes with the immortals because and it doesn't happen it doesn't happen but i kept thinking any moment now zelen is going to reveal that the doctor is also an immortal or also more than a time lord more than you think you are and it didn't happen but by revealing ruth is actually the doctor I'm yeah. now starting to think anything could happen, right? Like, I don't believe anything about what we've been told about the Doctor for 50 years. And it, even though they didn't pull that lever in this episode, it, they didn't need to because no. it, they had already primed me to be paranoid about it. Well, this is the thing. There's actually a sense of peril. Yeah. There's a sense of peril in a way that there hasn't been in years. Um, probably not since you knew that uh, um, that Clara was going to leave. There was a sense of, well, how is she leaving? Uh, I don't know. Have you seen? Have you seen the titles of the episodes of the rest of the season? Yeah, I have. I I don't want to reveal them here. No, 
but um, clearly the Cybermen and the Timeless Child are going to be addressed, at least to a certain degree this season. We can say yeah. that. The question is how much, right? Will it be ah, every, like this episode and the last episode? Everything is resolved in 10 minutes. Or will I it be... I don't think they're going to resolve everything. No. I think that you're... I, th- I have a feeling this season's ending on a cliffhanger. I, I get that sense, too, that they are going to... Uh, leave things dangling and then probably presumably kick us into a you know Christmas special and then mm. a series next year um, with a lot of this stuff uh, or 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 the resolution of some of the stuff now will lead to more questions that are yeah. that have to be addressed later. It definitely feels that way. We do get a a uh, Doctor Flash where she's on Gallifrey and we hear the Master's voice and they're the timeless children and and um, that's that's embedded in here too briefly but it it hangs over the whole interaction with these two immortals because i i just keep questioning um i can't assume the doctor is who we think she is now and that changes the color of that whole uh center section of this episode well well two things i'd say one is that sequence where you see in her dream that she's back on Gallifrey. Um, my reading of that is that that is the first time she actually gets a good look. Because uh, in Spyfall Part 2, when the Master talks to her about this, uh, you know, via the hologram, you see this this flashback, but it's it's very sort of, um, it's very quick, almost like a, a, in this dream-like sort of goes by in a almost strobing effect, whereas here you actually see this uh, child standing in what looks like Gallifreyan architecture, and the doctor watching her, and then you get almost like a fisheye view of the doctor's face looking, mm. and it's it's sustained. So it's you you see that she's actually taking it in. This this is allowing her to take this in for the first time, and the the voiceover says, you know, it's been sort of hidden in our memories. So now we see it's not hidden anymore. Right. That was my take on that. As to the the doctor is not who, you know, is not necessarily who we think the doctor is. I think that that may be true, but I think that you know we've been watching this show since 1963, and I, so I think what what her companion said two episodes ago ring true, which is we know who you are now. So maybe there is a whole bunch of, uh, maybe there are a whole bunch of re- uh, regenerations before Hartnell. Maybe, maybe we're doing some kind of Cartmel master plan redux. But I think, I think this is, I'm hoping at least that this is Chibnall going to, going to the whole, well, actually the hero is questioning, but the, in the end we know who the hero is. Uh, I, I, at least that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. I, so anytime you do something as bold as saying, well, maybe there are more doctors that you don't know about, like we have with Ruth, and that maybe the doctor lived a whole set of lives before William Hartnell's character and doesn't remember any of them. And there's been lots of lot, we uh, Stephen and Erica and I did a lot of speculation in the Flashcast two weeks ago yeah. about it, that lots of different scenarios, any of which could be true, one of which probably is true in, in, in some way. But the in doing that you you risk having it be oh what if the doctor used to be a monster and used to be a terrible killer and did terrible things and is not the person we know and the brilliance of the way that the, the ruth doctor is written 
is it's the doctor, right? She is so recognizably the doctor, right down to doctor doesn't use guns, which, you know, sometimes the doctor does, but she's like, I know, shut up. And you're like, oh, this is the doctor, right? Like that, that's the, I liked that about it, that it's Mm. like, whatever revelation we're going to give you, relax. Yeah. It's still the doctor, you know. But I I think that, you know, the doctor used to be a monster, for instance, as a revelation would be a nonsense because, okay, maybe that's true. But at this point, the character is over 2000 years old in the incarnation that we know and understand. So, okay, that's 2000 years worth of repentance, surely. Right. I mean, I I, I don't know. So I don't think I don't think they would get away with you used to be the bad guy. Uh, but now you're now you've turned good and you've made up for it. I, I think that that well, I hope I hope that it, it's not that. Yeah, <laughs> my, my right. I mean, the fact that she is trying to escape. See, now we're talking about Fugitive of the Jadoon, but there's so much there. The fact that she's yeah. trying to escape because the whole point of her being hidden on Earth, she's trying to escape her employers, and her employers are apparently the Time Lords. So even if she was forced to do bad things. Clearly, she has rebelled against it and doesn't want yeah. to do it. So you can see in that the fundamental character that I don't think the revelation is going to be, you know, you were bad before. It's going to be no. um, they made you do lots of things against your will. And finally, they let you go under the, you know, they let you go and gave you a new set of regenerations, but they had to wipe your memory or something like that. That seems like a more reasonable thing. But the idea that the core personality is is still there of somebody who rebels against authority, just wants to wander, does not want to be a part of the society any, anymore, all of those things. Well, the the three explanations, the three theories that I've heard for, for all this, one of them is uh, season 6B, which I think, you know, as, as an old school fanboy, I think would be kind of cute, but I don't think they're going to do that. Yeah. Um, I think it would raise far too many questions, especially for people who've only been watching since Eccleston. Uh, I... Um, a parallel universe doctor, again, no, I don't think so. And I, I'm pretty sure Chibnall has said it's not that. Right, anyway, he has. I, I think that this is a whole set of pre-Hartnell regenerations. And people, I've seen people say, well, you know, how can you do that? You've seen, you know, you've seen Hartnell steal the TARDIS, you know, the, the, name of the doctor shows, uh, a fragment of Clara even showing, showing the doctor to, uh, Yes, to the to, TARDIS. Yeah, but that—I mean—that's so easily retconned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, okay. It, it always was. It always was in the form of a police box, and the fragment of of Clara knew which one to show the Doctor to, which one was his TARDIS from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, that—that's my hacky way of of retconning it. But sure. Yeah, uh, no, I, I think it is easily done, and I like the season six B explana- explanation because it wedges. Uh, open a door to uh, something that fans already you know think exists but the easier story is william hartnell's doctor was not the first doctor there were there was a whole life led before and then basically memory was wiped new regenerations were granted because this is the time lords we're talking about this was obviously agreed to in some way and then everything that follows him fleeing with uh, susan and uh going to earth and having that tardis and having it turn into a police box was all an echo of the past and and or sort of he was pushed in that direction this was 
because this was part of the deal. I, I even I, had a I had a moment where I thought maybe Susan's in on it. Maybe this is mm. she's the one who takes him by the hand and says, "Come on now, we're going to go now." And she's she's his you know his companion to lead him out of Gallifrey and back out into the universe. But we'll oh, yeah. we'll see. And actually, you know, that way and here we're, we're really we're really going down oh, the rabbit we're, hole. We're in it, the conspiracy <laughs> corner now. <laughs> it, oh yeah, but it, it explains the punishment that he gets at the end of the war. Great war games is even more explicable. Right. You yeah. Know, because yeah, it actually becomes Blake Seven. <laughs> well, so this is this is what I I do think we're going to get is is Chris Chibnall's take on a whole other deeper backstory for the doctor other than I got bored and ran away because it's far more complicated than that. And the timeless child, you know, this is, I think there is a root question that is that we don't have all the answers to yet about Mm. something in the doctor's past and something that happened and the timeless child or timeless children have something to do with that. So there's Mm. more to play for, but um, I'm, I'm uh, I'm excited about it, and and I'm and I'm excited about this season, as you said, because uh, not only did that episode amp up the kind of stakes and the questions I've got every minute of every other episode, but uh, I feel like we're going in a fun uh, a fun direction, and uh, you know, and you know, fans are going to be fans, and we'll see. Playing with canon is great until it's not, so we'll see what happens. But <laughs> I've enjoyed it. Until the cannon blows your head off, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, it, it happens. It's be- dangerous being a fan. Very dangerous. Uh, uh, anything else you'd like to talk about, about yeah, this episode? I, I, there's a couple of things. There's smaller things. One is just how glorious that animated bit was. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't even mention that. Wasn't that great? That's the. It's a an animated uh, story of the two gods who came and ruined mm. two planets. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I mean that you know there there is a lot. I mean it is it's not actually based in any real myth or real myth, real myth or, or folklore, <laughs> but it's it's um, definitely playing with tropes that are are true to to folklore. And the figures looked very Greek. The actual the actual animations they hmm. they, they looked very much like what you would see on old Athenian red and black figure vases and amphora i thought which i thought i thought was a really nice touch and and i don't know have we ever had and i I mean apart from reconstructions we've never had an animated i I don't think so i think this was a first fans can come at me if if we actually have but i think this was a first to have an animated uh, segment inside an episode of doctor who i i did really love the really love that except for the whole there were these evil gods and so the people of these planets decided to to trap them by ramming their two planets together (laughs) okay i mean (laughs) i suppose desperate times and all that it seems uh, seems a bit extreme doesn't it but it looked uh, great oh yeah it looked amazing (laughs) another thing which I found, I mean, I really enjoy, cause I, I really enjoy Jodie Whittaker as the doctor. I think she does really, she, you know, she hits all the right buttons for me. But that bit where Graham was talking to her, that just, I don't know, for me, that was out of character. I mean, maybe if it was 11, it wouldn't be out of mm. character, but she seems so much more empathetic. Yeah, I I agree. It's a very Doctor Who distinction to make to say, I felt the I should say a reassuring thing here, still a bit socially awkward, don't really know what to say. She's looking kind of over his shoulder. Like, I kept expecting the joke to be that she's not even paying attention to him because she's looking at something on the far wall. But to have her say that, it, it is... 
it is something that a doctor would do, but yeah. it doesn't feel like it's something this doctor would do no, with this exactly person. Exactly that. Exactly that. And we've seen, I mean, this is the doctor who stayed for Grace's funeral. Right. Yep. Uh, I've not seen her be socially awkward up to this point. So I don't know. I, that that was the one part of the episode that really didn't ring true to me. So Yeah, I, I think uh, I know. I, I can rationalize sort of like why it is the way it is and how that is something the doctor might do. But I agree with you. We have seen Jodie Whittaker give speeches to that are very much to her companions that are uplifting and empathetic and that she she's the doctor who says we're you know this is our our fam like we're gonna she she is the doctor but she is a very hands-on empathetic Mm. doctor with her with her companions for sure and that's why yeah it it doesn't ring wrong for something a doctor would do but it does i'm not sure i see the line out of unless she's really like really really troubled by this whole master timeless child business but there's no lead into that to show no. that she's troubled and graham is interrupting her or something and she just kind of you know shrugs and and graham kind of laughs it off and mm, yeah, I, yeah i'm with you all right well uh good episode another good episode yeah. i love it i love it when the flashcast yeah. is good a series of good episodes and i don't oh, like yeah. it when it's a series of bad episodes i do not like that so uh, next for people week who... we get uh, mary shelley yeah which... and and i should a... say for those who are um are curious uh next week is the gallifrey uh, one convention in los angeles and i will be there with lots of other doctor uh... who fans and all of them have podcasts, so those people will probably be doing their own <laughs> podcast. But I may find an incomparable panelist or two who is attending and does not have their own Doctor Who podcast. And we will, but I w- I'm going to get to watch a brand new Doctor Who episode airing at a Doctor Who convention, which has never happened to me before. So I'm very excited about that. I am so envious. One of these days, I'm going to be able to get to Galley. I, I, I don't see. I don't know when. I don't know how. But one of these days. It's a great time. And I keep saying, you know, the convention is nice and all. And Christopher Eccleston's going to be there, which is very yes. exciting. But I go for the people because the people are great. The fans are great. Mm. And uh, I've met so many great Doctor Who fans, many of whom, as I said, have their own podcasts. Uh, but it's great to see them in person. Uh, and it's going to be an extended incomparable reunion. I think there are going to be like five or six incomparable panelists there uh, over the weekend. So um, anyway, I don't know who, but next week we'll be talking about that uh, there. But uh, Homan, thank you so much for coming on. I know we've talked about this and before the season started, you 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 pinged me on Slack and we're like, yeah. we, we should do this. And then and I thought uh, today is the day and you were available. So I'm so glad that we got to talk about this good episode. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And we will uh, see you next week from Los Angeles, uh, somewhere in time and space, but very specifically, I'll be in Los Angeles. Dr. Who